You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. My name is uh, Ryan Rice, and I serve as a lead pastor at North Valley. So glad to be with you guys this morning. We're going to have a sharing time just to uh, hear what God's been doing in uh, the life of North Valley. And um, man, it's good to be here this morning, isn't it? Wasn't that a good time of worship? Can we celebrate that? Um, if, you, if you've got, uh, want to share about what the Lord's been doing in your life uh, here, uh, being a part of North Valley, I uh, we'll encourage you just to raise your hand. We've got uh, guys that have got the mic and they'll hold, uh, hold it and you can just share whatever the Lord's been doing in your life. Um, as you guys get ready, raise your hand and I'm going to tell you, just as I'm worshiping, you know, I feel like when I'm worshiping, I am in the presence of the Lord. Amen? You know, and I, I feel as if, like, I don't feel strong anymore in some of these moments. I feel like a weak child humbled by the almighty presence of God at hand. And it's such a refreshing feeling, though, because I, got a, I, find, I figure it out in those moments of worship that I don't have to have everything figured out, that I'm under the protection of a mighty king and heavenly father that rules all things according to his purpose and his plan, and he loves me. And I want that for you. I want that for you. And I pray that as we enter into these times of worship, you just humble yourself before the Lord. Let him lift you up, strengthen you. Amen? Amen. All right, somebody share what, what the Lord's been doing. Ben, you got a mic right here. Oh, you're about to share, Gary. All right. Ben, ben is on our AV team and does a great job. So, Ben, take it away, my friend. I just thought it'd be good to share. Um, I've been feeling really blessed by my neighborhood group lately. Uh, if you guys aren't involved in one, you really should... Uh, Find one. Uh, who, who do they talk to to find out about those? They can talk to me. I'll be at the info table. I'm Jonathan. Um, they've just uh, been really supporting my family in prayer. Um, previously, they've supported my family materially when we've been going through a, a hard time. Um, and it's just been wonderful to have a group of people who love us and love Jesus and always let us know both of those. So... Hi, uh, I'm Gary. This is my wife, Sam. She doesn't want to stand up. She, we just got married on Friday, so I just wanted to, I wanted to uh, take time just to, you know, talk about how it's a praise that God is a part of that, and we want to make that a part of our life. So uh, I'm glad that I'm part of this church family now, and I feel blessed to be a part of it. So I just want to let you guys know that we're happy to be here as a couple. So thank you. It's great to, great to be a part. Somebody else, just raise your hand. What's the Lord been doing in your life? How can we give him praise and honor? I just wanted to say thank you, Lord, for taking care of my husband and for keeping him safe. Amen. Let's celebrate that. He's a good father. What else has the Lord been doing in the life of you? Maybe it's this past week. Maybe it's 
a circumstance at work or issue of prayer that you've been praying for, and this morning is a time where we give praise to encourage those that are gathered here today. You hear about the love of a good father. Mine is a circumstance at work, like Pastor Ryan was saying, and um, it's nice to be a part of North Valley um, where faith in action is taught. Um, God had me leave my job after 21 years just the, um, over the last two weeks. Um, I finished up, and um, he's starting to open the doors that he wants to open for the next season of life. Um, I think the scripture that is was most important to me during this transition was um, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't even, we don't even have to have the faith. He gives us the faith to do the things that he wants us to do. So yeah. I, I'm glad to be a part of North Valley where I can see all of that faith happening. Thank you. Yeah. We love you, Vicki. Thank you for sharing. Excuse me. Great. That's so good to hear, isn't it? It's so good to hear how the Lord's working in people's lives. Hey, North Valley family. Uh, my name's Gavin uh, Robertson. My wife and most of my kids are in California, and my son Chris is uh, home with me for the weekend. And uh, um, Chris has been through a hard time. Uh, his mom's not making good life choices. He uh, lives with us, and he's had some struggles. And, uh, you know, I as a father have uh, taken those struggles and, and the behavior that followed them personally and uh, haven't been the good father that I needed to be and showed him the love. And yesterday... Uh, God just really broke my heart open, and I remember being a kid. I was a missionary kid, and, and my dad was so involved in, in his mission that I felt neglected at home. I didn't feel the love that I needed, and God reminded me of that yesterday, what I wanted deep down inside as a kid. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel valued, and, uh, and God showed me yesterday that I hadn't been doing that to my son, and uh, it just really broke my heart open, and I was able to uh, just let Chris know that I love him, that I want to be uh, the father that I'm supposed to be and, and be the representative of God the Father to my family, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I love this church, I love the people here, I'm constantly encouraged, I'm constantly encouraged by God's word, by the preaching, by the neighborhood groups, by accountability partner, uh, met with Pastor Jonathan a number of times and been, been counseled that way, and, and I think it's just all those things put together, you know, and, and has just broken through that hardness in my heart, you know, and uh, I want accountability from everybody. How are you loving your family? How are, I, want, I want everybody to know that that's something that I desire. So thank you all for being there and for being a family to me and my family. Amen. I just want to thank the North Valley Church for their prayers. I've been... Uh, diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh, God is keeping me strong. I'm going through chemo and radiation. Uh, my verse right now in the Bible is Isaiah 21, 13, which says, I take you by your right hand. I, the Lord your God, say to you, do not be afraid. I am here to help you. And he is. Amen. You guys are making me strong up here, man. I'm hearing all these incredible uh, testimonies of faith, and I want to be like that when I go through a hard time to rely on God's Word. 
Hey guys, my name is Jim, my wife of 26, 25 years, going on 26 now. Two years ago, I was learning how to walk again after coming out of a coma for 32 days, complications of pneumonia of all things. So I still walk funny. I have nerve damage as a result of the medications they gave me. I had a thousand people praying for me up in Montana. And uh, I'm here to tell you the Lord comes through for you. Amen. At the last minute of somebody. He came through. And as strange as it sounds, I did have a near-death experience. And he revealed himself as the king. The king wants what he wants. He will have what he wants. And what he wants is good. It is good and kind. Overwhelming kindness that I cannot... I cannot imagine. It's, it's not a figment of my imagination because I'm not that imaginative of how kind he is and how regal his majesty is. It, is. it is a good thing to be overwhelmed by that, and you can trust it. Unlike so many kings in history, he is kind. Thank you. Amen. Matt, go ahead. Thank you for sharing, Jim. Hi, um, I'm Matt, and this is my wife, Debbie, who's hunched over here. Um, I just wanted to praise, give God a big praise for what he's done in our life over the last year. Um, we've had a challenge um, a year ago, and um, we've clung to God's word, and God's been faithful, and he's just awesome. In the last couple months, we decided to buy uh, a home and get moved closer to the church, um, we've been living in um, about 20 minutes east of here, and uh, God has really blessed us with uh, with a new home. So we're about 10 minutes away from the church now, and uh, we're just so excited to be closer to our church family, and uh, just excited to see what God's doing in our life. And uh, we d- we just praise Him for being an Almighty God. Amen. Let me pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the given today. Thank you, God. Uh, just uh, the, the, nobody can argue with, with these stories about how you're working in their life. We give you thanks for that, how you work uniquely and individually. And we pray, God, now as we look uh, to, to the message today and prepare our hearts for that, would you speak to us? Would you work through your word now? In the name of Christ, we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. Hey guys, well, if you've got a Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. We're in James chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 26. Uh, The title of the message is A Faith That Works. Let's all say that together. A Faith That Works. You know, um, early on in my uh, Christian experience, um, probably what got the most influence uh, to my lost friends that didn't know Jesus was the way I was living, the things that I changed. I had a bad relationship with a gal, and I treated her wrong, and I I, I tried to write that, went back, confessed to her, I'm sorry, I was a bad guy, you need to break up with me, and and she, 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 she went on, and she called me a jerk for becoming a Christian, and uh, thumping her with the Bible, as she called it. And then two or three years later, she calls me back and says, that was one of the most mature things you could have done. I respect and respect that from you. Um, the way you live your life is the testimony of Christ. 
as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, you, you've got to understand it's not really what you say that matters all the much more as more as what you do. And so James is writing to an audience that's addressing a social faith. They have a, a, a kind of a connection to Christianity, and James opens up his book and he writes uh, to the 12 tribes in dispersion. These are literally 12 uh, people that 12 groups of people that are professing Christians, they were Jews that believed a Messiah was coming. Then Jesus comes, they become, many of them become Christians and they scatter outside of Jerusalem into the Roman Empire. And because there was persecution and James is writing to them and says, I know most of you guys are genuinely saved Christians, but you, you have a saving faith. But there are a bunch of you that have what's called a social faith meaning you just, you affiliate with the rest of them because they're, you know, good Christian morals and values and all that. And James is kind of going to be attacking what's been called easy believism. It's the idea that a simple profession in faith, like you just say with your mouth, yeah, Jesus is Lord, and that's it. But your life looks totally different. So James is going to be writing to that, and he's going to challenge the believers, uh, and for the rest of the folks to really examine their own life. Do I really have a faith that genuinely works? So let's do this. Let's stand for God's word. I'm going to read it, verses 14 through 26. It says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has a faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Lord, work in us, work through us, illuminate our minds and our hearts to understand your word. We pray in the name of Christ, amen. Five keys to having a faith that works. That's what you need. You need a faith that genuinely is going to work. Um, God has designed you to live a certain way. And when you try to go contrary to his design, you're going to figure out that it just doesn't go so well. Amen? So, 
this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to walk through these verses and I'm going to give you five keys to having a faith that works from James's perspective. And it's the right perspective. Number one, understand that a faith without deeds is no good. Let's say no good together. No good. Now, if you're uh, a football fan, you kind of know that there is a time when uh, a punter comes up and he kicks for the field goal. And if he doesn't get it, the referee says it's what? No good. It doesn't matter how hard the punter's been practicing or whatever. If he doesn't, if he doesn't, if the, the kicker doesn't kick it into the field goal, it's just not going to work. Now, I use a football illustration with caution because I didn't grow up uh, in a family that was a big sports fan. Uh, sports got in the way of work on the family uh, recreational ranch. And so dad would make sure that we were involved on uh, building fences, getting horses gathered, and burning brush piles, and all that good stuff. But when it comes to this issue of no good, I think a football illustration is helpful because what James says is he's going to ask, he's going to give three questions, and the answer is going to be, it's going to be a rhetorical question, the answer is going to be either no or no good. So let's all say that together. It's either going to be no or no good. Now listen to these questions, and when I read you the question from Scripture, you answer either no or no good. Question number one, what good is it, my brothers? Now again, James is writing to Christians, and he's being kind. He kind of puts his arm around you, and then all of a sudden he'll punch you in the gut because he's, he's going to give you the truth. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The answer is no good. Question number two, can that faith save him? The answer is no. That's what James is looking for at least, right? James gives us a comical example about this in verse 15. Look what it says. If a brother or sister, and this was a real example though, very likely that it had been happening within the Roman Empire, and James has got a, a tenacious commitment to love God and love neighbor. He talks about orphans. He talks about widows. He talked about not showing, being partial or showing favoritism. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace. Literally, that's a Jewish form or greeting and he says, be warmed and filled, but yet without giving them the things needed for the body. Here's the third question. What good is that? It's no good. Point is, if you're going to have a faith that works, you need to understand that faith without deeds is what? It's no good. It doesn't do you any good. Let me give you some real life examples of people I've seen. I'll spare you the names. But real life examples, what, let me ask you a question. I'm going to say, what, what would you think about this? What would you think if someone said that they genuinely loved you? Maybe this, in this situation, it was a husband and a wife. And every time I was around the husband and the wife, the wife would trash the husband. In my opinion, very disrespectful wife. Very disrespectful. But let me ask you a question. What would you think if... Someone said they loved you, but they constantly poked fun 
or made fun of you in front of other people, what would you think? It's no good. They don't really love me if that's the way they treat me. You would ask the question at least, right? What would you think of someone who said that they had a passion and caring for orphans and for widows, but they never gave a single dollar of their time? They never really cared about it. They never signed up for a mission trip. What would you say to that person? They say, oh, I love caring for orphans and widows. And then you ask them, well, have you ever done anything? And they say, no. Your response would be, you don't really care. That's no good. What would you think of someone if... They said that they loved God, but they really never showed up to church. They never shared their faith. They never read their Bible. They never prayed. What would your response be? You would probably say, no, you're not. I don't, I don't, I don't see how you're a Christian. Or what would you say to a person who says, hey, I'm a Christian, but I don't even need to ask God for forgiveness. What would you say to that person? That's no good. That happens all around, even in the public spotlight, that happens. And you have to ask the question, it raises suspicion, doesn't it? Here's the point, faith that works is a faith that works. It's not for, we don't work for approval with God, but we work from approval. And the way that God's designed it is that as because of Christ and what he's done, he has forgiven us of our sins. The Bible says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. But then he goes on to say, but you were created in Christ for good work. And so as a believer, as a Christian, if you're genuinely saved in Christ, you need to know the natural outcome of your faith and its outworking, what's going to be produced is godly good work. What's the work we're talking about? Well, James talked about the work of perseverance and counting it all joy when you face trials. And didn't you hear that today when this gal stands up and she says, I've got stage four cancer, but I'm still calling upon the name of the Lord that he's good and he's going to... He's going to hold my life all together. There's a work of perseverance that's been displayed here this morning, guys. That's good. Number two, if we're going to have a faith that works, we need to accept the reality that a faith without works is dead. Let's all say dead together. Dead. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? It's dead. Dead literally means it's a workless faith. It's a worthless faith. It is unproductive. It is sterile. It is barren. It is dead. It is decaying. It is rotting. And it stinketh. There was a mystery smell at my house the other day. And I, I said, what is that smell? And I said, Sam, my boy, did you leave your nasty, stinky socks in the laundry? Because his feet, you know, he, you know, when you get kids, once they hit nine or 10, they get a little independence and they think, well, I don't have to shower. You know, I don't even have to change my undies, my socks. I'm just going to roll this thing out. 
So I investigated. I did the sniff test in his laundry basket. And it actually smelled pretty good. I was like, if it's not you, you're not the perpetrator. And he decided to join the Inquisition. So he joined me in the mystery smell hunt. And we found the smell was coming out of my closet. So we went through. And I said, Sam, I promise you, this is not me. I said, now your mother's been playing tennis on, sun- on Wednesdays. And I don't think she's washing her clothes. So we went through, I mean, a huge pile of laundry. Leslie has like a laundry day, so it piles up, you know. And, it, and it's the day before laundry day, and it's like, whew. And so we're smelling and everything, and Sam's like, uh, Mom, Mom's stuff stinks, Dad. And I'm like, you, you, yeah, you, you're right. You know, we're going to have to confront her on this. You just hang in there. So we separate, and we're like, aha, it is the tennis outfit. And so we go to Leslie, and we say, she comes back, and she goes, did you guys ever figure out what that smell was? And we said, uh-huh, we did. You, you, you might want to sit down on this. It's your tennis clothes. And Leslie says, no, it's not. And I said, no, it really is. I mean, we smelled everything, and that's what it is. And then she goes, Ryan, did you go hunting the other day? And I said, yeah. And she said, there's a quail vest in the back of the closet. Let me ask you a question. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and she said, whatever smells in there, it smells dead. And I promise you, it's not me. Did you take the quail out of the quail vest? And I said, oh my goodness. And Sam goes, dad, dad, you're joking me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I walk back there and I'm like holding my nose and it's in the very back of the closet. And I just close my eyes and I touch the back of the vest. Pop, pop. Oh boy. Thing had some dead quail in there. It sat there for a week. It stanketh. Really, really bad. And I walked out and she was like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, sweetie, I'm so sorry. So I hung up the quail vest for a week outside by the trash cans and let it air, air out. Oh, man. Here's what the Bible says. If you have faith that doesn't have works, your faith is dead. It stinks. It's actually hideous. It's no good. And James uses that language to tell you that it's no good at all. He wants you to work, meaning he wants the very outflow of your life. If you believe that the the death of Christ atones for sins, forgives you, cleanses you of your sin, he's imputed righteousness upon your life, you're not just forgiven, you stand strong, holy, because he's imputed righteousness upon your life. He's been buried, he's risen again, he rose and he showed himself to more than 40 people and then more than 500, and the name of Christ has been moving throughout the world, and Jesus is alive. He is the hope of our world. He is God. He is the Son of God. 
And James says, if that's true, and then he says that his spirit will dwell in you and motivate the heart to do things that are good, then why aren't there works in your life? And his answer is, if you don't have works in your life, then it's dead. What are the works? The works are endurance. The works are perseverance. The works are purity. The works are obedience to God's word. The works are showing compassion for people around you. It's being impartial, not showing favoritism. The point is, is that faith that has no works is dead. It's not alive. Number three, you need to realize that a faith without deeds is useless. Verses 18 through 20 says that. Unless here in verse, useless is used here in verse 20. It says, a faith apart from works is what? Useless. Useless means idle. Useless means fruitless. Jesus spoke about a faith without works and he likened it to judging a tree by its fruit. He says, you know, if you are a follower of me and you bear no fruit in your life, what is fruit? Love, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you don't have those things in your life, the question is, is, are you really a believer in me? Because that's what I do. I motivate the heart. I change the heart. I rewire all those desires and I make people new. And so the question comes. We need to realize that a faith without deeds is useless. Is our faith useless? Is it idle? Is it fruitless? Is it spiritually empty? Is it spiritually impotent? Is it unproductive? Verse 18 James says this, he says, show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. James tends to believe that your faith can be demonstrated by the way you treat people. That your faith can be demonstrated by the things you do. And he builds kind of what's called a straw man argument where some people are saying, show me your faith apart from your works. Some people were saying, well, I'm a Christian, but just because I don't care about the poor, just because I don't care about the orphan, just because I don't really love or care for other people, or I scoff God and blame God when things go wrong, doesn't mean I'm not. And James says, you be careful. If you, if you don't have fruit in your life, if there's not a demonstration of works in your life, be careful. If we're going to have a faith that works, we need to realize that a faith without deeds is useless. I used to be a river rafting guide in Colorado, and during the summers, during my college years, I would go down the Arkansas River um, in Buena Vista, Colorado, and there was a class three in whitewater, and one of the rapids that we had to train in was called Seidel's Suck Hole. Doesn't sound fun. And uh, class four whitewater. And I asked the question, has anybody ever been killed on this rapid? And they say, oh yeah, there's usually about one every summer. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? I got to go down this? Yes, you do. Worse, I need you to jump out and you're going to go down into the bottom of the suck hole and it's going to hold you and I want you to 
ball up, you have a helmet on and a life jacket, and then let the river work you. And I said, well, I want to get to the top and breathe. And they said, no, 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 no. This is why we did all the swift water training. You have to hold your breath for at least two minutes. The river's going to rock you around. And then after a while, you'll just shoot up. So I was like, all right, here we go. So I go down the suck hole. We're getting ready. And I see the hole and it's huge, thrashing, powerful white water. And I just jump and it takes me under and I try to fight my way up. And that's no good. Because it thrashes your body around. So I curled up just like it said. And I felt utterly useless in the moment. But it was actually the most important thing I needed to do. I just needed to follow the instruction. I needed to believe. Even though I didn't understand it and trust what the, the trainers had told me. And about two minutes later, it shoots me out way downstream, and I come up. In that moment, I felt utterly useless in being worked over by the power of the river. And the truth is, is that there's times in your life when you're going to be asked to do some things that are incredibly difficult, and you're going to feel thrashed by the powerful waves and the water. But you need to listen to the structure and the training of others and, and the truth and as it comes to this issue with faith and works, you need to know that it is incredibly important that we try to align our life, even when things are hard and even when things are challenging, that we just go, you know what, it, this is going to be hard and difficult, but I'm going to do it anyway. James says that we need to realize that a faith without deeds is useless. And he goes on to say, um, in, it says in the Bible, Jesus is the one who says that you can judge a tree by its fruit. Um, James has said you can judge a person's faith by, their, um, by the way they demonstrate their faith. And then Paul says that we were even created for good works. In verse 19, here's what we're going to learn is that James isn't after lip service. That won't cut it. He's after life service. He wants to see your faith being tested and teased out. Because that's real life. Real life isn't easy all the time, is it? How many whirlwinds or challenging circumstances do we go through, earthquakes or tsunamis, and we feel the power of the circumstance, and in the middle of it, Jesus rises in your storm of life and says, here I am, trust me. James says, I don't want a simple lip service, you need a life service, that when everything comes crashing down, you're surrendered and you're trusting. He's going to use this illustration in verse 19. He says, hey, you believe that God is one. This is a straw man argument, but he's saying to the person with the social faith, not the genuine saving faith, the easy believism believer. He says, you believe that God is one and you do well. God is one was called the Shema. It was out of Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four through five. It was the idea that of monotheism, that God is one. And he says, you do good that you believe that God is one. But he says this, even the demons believe that. Demons believe in the Shema. They believe that God is one. The demons actually are monotheistic. They believe in one God. They believe Jesus is God. That's a Christian core belief. 
So we've got something in common with demons. But their days are numbered. They know that. They know that Jesus is king and that Jesus will punish all sin and that will overturn and destroy demons and Satan. They know their days are numbered. They know that God will one day will completely defeat them. They know full and well that the Bible is God's word. The Bible says that they believe and they shudder. That's the only time that this word shudder is mentioned in the New Testament, and it means bristle, a tremble, extreme fear of punishment or wrath. That's something we don't have in common with the demons. We believe in all those things that God is one. We believe that the Bible is true. We believe that God will return. We do believe that God will right every wrong, but we don't operate in fear. We operate in faith and the goodness of knowing that God will give us eternal peace and joy. James's point is, hey, lip service is useless. It does no good. Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that a faith apart from works is useless? Now, here's the point. Number four, we need to pursue a faith that is active. He's going to move from a hypothetical example with the straw man argument to a historical example where he's going to call upon heroes of the faith, Abraham and Rahab. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he was offered up by his son Isaac on the altar? Who is Abraham? Abraham was the father of the Hebrew people. God used Abraham to form the nation of Israel. And all descendants after Abraham are called the people of God. And in this example, James calls upon Abraham who was tested. But know this, that God was right beside Abraham the whole time. And the love of the good father was testing Abraham's faith to see if he would offer up his son. And what would be baffling in the mind of Abraham is that's exactly the way all the other pagan religions operated. They were making children's sacrifices. And Abraham hears this from the Lord that he wants Abraham to offer up his son Isaac. But yet at the same time, he recalls the promises that God's going to use Abraham to establish a line that would one day lead to the Messiah. And he's thinking, how can this be? But in the midst of it, here's what I think God was thinking. Abraham, if you would do this and trust me and rely upon me, of course I'm not going to do anything that's going to contradict my word. God had already said, thou shall not kill but he's going to walk in obedience anyway. I think the Lord was saying to him, if you did this, this would be the greatest demonstration of your faith to the world in me. And so we see in this offering up of Isaac, it was not the grounds of Abraham's faith. It didn't establish him as a believer because that had already happened in Genesis 12 and 15. But the result, it was an expression. James is using the term works here. And he goes on, let me talk to you about what it means to be justified in the text. It says, Abraham, our father was justified. There's kind of two meanings to the word justified. Now hang with me here. Justified means in a Christian sense, the way we think about it, it means to be declared righteous before God. 
It means to be saved. It means to be justified by faith before God. Paul says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. That's the idea of justified. We're made right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That is one understanding of the meaning justification. Here, I think in the text is what James is referring to is the second meaning of justification. It means to be proved to be righteous before men not before God. It means vindicated. It means proof. It means justified by works before men. Why? Because people need to see to believe. Amen? Most of the time, what convinces people that a faith is genuine is not what you say, but it's what you do. So even in the text, look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by what? Works. So oftentimes, what Paul and the apostle in your historical Christian faith says is justified by faith. And that is true. James is talking about something entirely different. He's not talking about how to get saved. He's talking about what your life looks like once you are saved. Amen? Justified by works is something that happens before others. Jesus said, others will see your good deeds. Matthew 5, 6, you're the light of the world. And when you're doing good things that you shine and you show the love of Christ, that's the testimony that you're a believer. Jesus, James here uses the example to help us to see true faith is always active. Verse 22, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. It's active. Faith was active along with his works. It means that there's a complementing that happens. As a believer in Christ, there's this thing that happens where God begins to rework your desires and you begin to live out and have an impulse or a propensity to do different. Where you hated somebody, you might start to not hate them. And then over time, what happens, you go, I don't even hate that person anymore. Maybe because of what Christ has been doing in my life, I love that person. That's the sign that God's at work and your faith is active. John Calvin, famous reformer, wrote this, faith alone justifies, and that's true. A faith in Jesus Christ justifies. But then he says, but of the faith that justifies is never alone. Faith is never alone. If you have a faith in Jesus Christ, it's never left alone. There's always a work that's happening through your life. And that's why I even had you say, hey, what's God doing in your life? And please, I don't want you to walk out of here with extreme fear and doubt as a believer. Once you're saved, you're always saved. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But I will refresh your memory to show how God's been working in your life. If you stand here convicted, challenged, I don't have any fruit in my life. Gospel is here for you. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And out of that, his Holy Spirit will descend upon your life and begin to rewire all these desires in here. But if over time it never translates from the heart to the hands, I got a question. 
did it ever really penetrate the heart? Are you with me? Faith was active along with works, James says. And furthermore, he says, faith was completed by works. He offered, Abraham offered up his son Isaac as the greatest work of his faith that proved that his faith was genuine. James gives us three results of an act of faith. Verse 23, it says, And Scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness, number two. And he was called a friend of God, number three. When you have an act of faith, three things are going to happen. You're fulfilling Scripture. That when you believe, in time, you're going to behave. Don't reverse it. Don't try to behave and then believe. Just start believing, and then you'll see the principle work out. God will start to rewire your desires. And you need to start walking in that faith and doing what you know is to be right, according to God's word. Number two, you're going to count it to him as righteousness. This is a reference in Genesis 15, 16, when Abraham was declared righteous for his profession of faith. You and I, by the goodness of God, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we get this thing called imputed righteousness. It means that God's righteousness, his righteousness, not ours, comes upon our life. It like clothes us like armor. And we're safe. We've been forgiven of our sins and then we've been credited righteousness. That happens. Number three, and he was called a friend of God. Jesus said this though, listen to this, what Jesus said in John 15, four, he says, you're my friends if you do what I command. Jesus expects obedience. Trust and obey for there's no other way. I'll stop singing. Let Ian and the team do that. But that's the way the Christian life works. Trust, believe, obey. There's no other way. It's, a, it's worth pursuing an act of faith. Number five, we need to live out a faith that takes risks. Verse 25 says this, And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works, it doesn't say justified by faith. It says justified by works. When she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Let me refresh your memory. The difference between Abraham and Rahab. Abraham was moral. Rahab is immoral. She's a prostitute. Abraham was a noble Chaldean. Rahab was a degraded Canaanite. Abraham was a great leader. Rahab was a common peasant citizen. Abraham was the top social economic leader. Rahab has nothing. Both go down as heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11. Both are imperfect people, but they're saved due to their righteousness that's been imputed by Christ. Some 2,000 years before Christ showed up on the scene, they believed with everything they had what God had revealed through faith. And God in his mercy calls them righteous. And their works are validations, they're proofs of their saving faith. Rahab, the prostitute, she was the innkeeper of Jericho. She lived in the walls. And she was the great, listen to this, the great grandmother of King David. She's even mentioned in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1. It says justified by works. What does that mean? It's the same phrase that's used with Abraham. They're both vindicated, proven right before others. 
that their faith is indeed genuine, was a saving faith, not simply a social faith. She received the messengers. What does that mean? And sent out another way. Joshua was a leader. He was a leader of the people of Israel. This is some 2,000 years before the time of Christ. And James is using these historical real life examples to jar the mind of the Jewish Christians to say, wake up. Faith and works is a real deal. You got to have them together. Joshua, leader of the Israelites, had sent two men into the city to spy it out. And her house, Rahab, was a safe house. It was a strategic place for the men of Joshua to stay. And then the king of Jericho finds out that these men were present. So he sends officials to investigate. And she sends them out another way. She sends out the men so that there's no tangling and uh, confrontation between the Israelites and the Jericho officials. She spares their life. She had heard that the word of the Lord was true. She had heard about the power of God working through Moses and splitting the Red Sea. She had heard about the Israelites, how they crossed on dry ground and they fled from the Egyptians led by Moses. She had heard and she believed. Rahab took a risk. Your faith, if it's a faith that genuinely works, will always take risk. Now, you might not want to. You might be afraid, but you always need to take risk. You might need to jump down in the middle of a Seidel suck hole. And then you need to listen to the careful instruction, the Lord saying, I'm going to get you out of here. It's going to be hard, but you can trust me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. You are good. You are always good. Even when things are hard, you're good. And so we pray, God, let the word penetrate our hearts and our minds. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, Ian and the worship team are coming up. And as they do, I want to tell you the incredible importance uh, for Easter. Uh, Take one of these cards and we need some volunteers. Um, I want to encourage you, first of all, to be part of the Easter services Those of you that regularly really attend a lot, come to the 9 o'clock because that'll help us. We don't do two services a whole lot. Um, And then also on the special event, uh, we need 50 volunteers. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Demonstrate your faith. Serve with us where there's a real need. We need 50 volunteers. We've got these let's do this uh, Home Depot buckets. I called the manager of Home Depot and I said, hey, we're in a series called Let's Do This. I noticed you got Let's Do This on your orange buckets. Um, We need 50 volunteers. Would you donate 50 buckets? And she said, absolutely. So uh, Home Depot, Tremonto. um, Cool how God's working in our community. People coming together, bringing resources. Here's what I need from you. We need the first 50 adults that say, hey, I want to be a part of serving on Easter Sunday at that special event. Uh, would you just write on, the, on your little program where you say, hey, let's do this. And it's a way in which you can demonstrate your faith that you're serving and helping a part uh, a church to share and show the love of Jesus Christ in North Valley. That would be great. Next week, Pastor Jay's going to have a Uh, He's going to have an orientation for you. And we just need 50 volunteers of those of you guys that would sign up and say, let's do this. Amen. Good being with you this morning. Let's celebrate uh, Ian and the worship team and the worship that we're about to experience. Amen.
Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.